Today we speak to Nancy Wallace, a former vegan, Pilates expert and regenerative advocate. We had an amazing chat. I'm sorry it's taking me a wee bit to get it uploaded. I should learn that I can't do all these things during calving season, but enjoy. It's hard. I mean, it's like the whole social media platform thing. I mean, it moves quite quickly. So, I mean, you've got to be kind of constant on top of it. We do. We didn't really, we, we were huge on Facebook. Like we started doing like the Facebook groups and advertising our, our meet in like various local groups. And then we set up the business page and I thought Facebook was the sh- like the best thing ever. And it was great for reaching targets and I had no and we didn't really do Instagram at all because it was just a just a photo sharing app <laughs> right and um and then Facebook I know they're owned by the same company but Facebook really cracked down on any kind of animal sales so even if you're selling beef or anything it would get flagged as against their p- policies and our ad accounts got cancelled and it just got really hard um we still have huh. We still have the business page and we have a huge following on there um, all, all over. And I still run them side by side. But our Instagram, I think I started working October, November last year. And it's just jumped from like 300 followers to almost 9,000, I think now. Yeah. Hopefully it'll keep on growing. But uh, yeah, it seems to have opened up another, a whole new world. Like I think I put a post up yesterday about why people follow us. And it's about 80% for regenerative agriculture. Yeah, that's awesome. Not beef. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys do a really good job. And I think that it's a growing, I think that it's just a growing, you know, I think people are starting to see the importance of it. And I think that it's just going to be a growing target of audience. So what got you hooked on regenerative agriculture and, and, um, I mean, you made a whole Instagram page on being regenerative. So like something must have really hit you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had a book on my nightstand for like four years that I didn't touch because it just like, it was something that I like want, I kept being like, oh, I'll get around to reading that. And, but it just seemed kind of like technical and, and daunting to me. And it was growing a revolution by, um, by David Montgomery. And he actually is a professor, um, at the university of Washington in, in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. And so, um, finally just one day I like was ready for it and I picked it up and I started, I started reading it and it like really opened up my eyes and kind of changed everything for me. Like I started looking at my backyard very differently. I started looking at like, when I would go into the grocery store, I started just kind of like thinking about like things started percolating in my, in my mind that hadn't, that hadn't been there before. And then, um, And then the documentary, like about like a year, a year or two later, um, kiss the ground came out and I was like, and it just kind of, it was like the visual version to the book, you know, like, like then I was like, oh my God, that like totally backs up like everything that this guy was, this author was talking about. And, um, 
but in the meantime, like prior to that, like in the book, he had, he had, um, he had referenced a couple of farmers, like he referenced, um, he referenced Brown's ranch. Um, so Gabe Brown out in North Dakota. And then, um, on the back of the book, uh, Will Harris from White Oaks pasture wrote just like a little blurb about how the way, um, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was a different book. I, I don't quote me on that. Maybe I think Will Harris wrote the quote on the back of Gabe Brown's book, dirt to soil, but it's just, it was kind of like this, like, like, so when I was reading the book, I, I, I read, I, I went to Gabe Brown's website and like immediately kind of like, I think I even emailed him and like reached out to him and just kind of like started to have these conversations. And then what really floored me about this journey was how engaging farmers were when, when you reached out to them with questions, um, you know, I, I, you know, you think it's going to be like intimidating. Um, and you think that you're going to have all these dumb, stupid questions. So for me, at least I feel like it kept me from doing that for a really long time, but I just felt reading, growing a revolution and then watching, and then, and then reading dirt to soil and then seeing the documentary, uh, kiss the ground, all of a sudden I just felt really boldened. And then, and then the pandemic happened and like, I got really kind of angry about the narrative that was being pushed out there just by media. And so then that's how like regenerative mama came about was, was kind of like, okay, well, I've been in the health and wellness industry for like, you know, you know, going on two decades And just always, I'm just always up against like all these, these trends in the industry. And now we have like this that, that intuitively I've always kind of been like bucking against. And then, and then this pandemic happened and I was, and I was curious. I was finally like really curious about like the origin of like my foods. And so I just started documenting on Instagram, what I was learning for myself. So it's kind of like, for me, just like, it's just kind of like my diary yeah, of everything that I've learned. And, um, and, and along the way, like my mission has kind of like turned into like, I'm a city dweller. Like I, I live in the city, you know, like I'm, I don't have, I don't have a homestead. I don't have like any of that kind of stuff. So through this, my whole mission has turned into like trying to inspire and help moms, like really take back control of the health of the home through supporting direct to your local beyond organic regenerative farmers. And so that's been kind of my mission. I think if everybody supported local and supported and bought local, so many of the issues that we're seeing or the media are identifying with climate change would be reduced drastically. Yeah. Well, low uh, seasonal and local. Yeah. I mean, it, it really would. I mean, the, I've, I was a vegan for 20 years and I'm very like now I'm very anti-vegan for saving the world. 
and I'm, I'm really kind of anti-globalized food. Was it the, was it your, um, awakening to regenerative agriculture for want of a better phrase that converted you away from veganism or was that already starting? Well, so, um, I've spent the better part of a decade being pregnant, breastfeeding. I have three children. So I started when I was 32 (laughs) and I'm like just coming out of it and I'm 40 this year. And I was just kind of like questioning my diet in terms of, you know, like longevity and like, is it really sustainable to be vegan with my aging body, you know, for like bone density and Mm -hmm. collagen and, you know, just getting, getting all the nutrients that I need to help me with like the things that I was battling, which was like, like chronic fatigue, brain fog, kind of all of that. And, and also like, um, you know, was it really like the best diet for my kids? Not that my kids were vegan or I pushed that onto them, but just because I was in the kitchen cooking all the time. I mean, naturally everybody was eating like, you know, a a dominantly vegan diet. Um, and so, yeah, listening to podcasts or just like YouTube videos of like people like Gabe Brown or Will Harris or people like, and then like following people like you and yeah, I started to really question it. And then, um, and then it was, somebody was talking. Yeah. I think, I think it was like, I love Gabe Brown. It was, um, Gabe Brown. He was talking about the, uh, the, the, his animals on his ranch on any given day eat somewhere between like three to 400 different, um, different, different plant species. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of started talking about, you know, like vegans and, you know, how many plant species do you think like a vegan can consume on any given day? And the, the phytochemical profile and the omegas of his, of his product are just like way superior and more complex And I don't know, but it was like listening to that. And it just kind of like sealed the deal for me. I was like, okay, like I'm feeling this way. And like, that makes, that's very rational. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think it was like the following week I started eating meat again. And I was like, totally fine (laughs) making the transition. Did the brain fog go and the lethargy, the fatigue? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel more nourished for sure. I think the biggest, um, difference was, was I stopped craving sugar Yeah, as much as I had been craving sugar, which, you know, like being, being in the wellness industry for as long as I've been like that, like nobody, I, nobody ever told me that the, like my sugar cravings could be a result of, like my diet and being, and being a vegan. So, so that, that, that was really big, but yeah, like more energy. I felt physically like a more, like I was, I was stronger. I was like, I was, I was better equipped for my days. Yeah. Well, we and all, we're contrary to what, I don't know, the non meat eating community will call them believe we are omnivores like yes we can survive on a meatless diet but the key word there is survive I don't think we thrive right yeah we survive for sure and then like you know you start researching you know what goes into making all these alternative milks and 
you look like Tempe and, you know, all this, all these soy based products. And I mean, it's like, it's not good for you or the environment or, and it's not, I mean, it's not a death free choice either. Like, yeah, it, it isn't like, I know a lot of people think that, okay, I'm not going to eat meat. So nothing is going to die for my, for my nutrition. And that's just not true. Like, I think there is a statistic out there that it's up to a hundred thousand creatures die per 24 acres, <laughs> whether right. they're a hummingbird or a bee or a dung beetle or a worm, but these are all super important to the uh, nature balance. Like we need them for crops and soil health. And if they're gone, like it's got a huge impact. Yeah. And like, as a, as like a, a vegan, you know, like you, you, you look at that and then you compare that to like the ecosystem of like a rancher, like you, who's doing it regeneratively. And it's like, everything is thriving in harmony. Right. So you're like promoting all that biological diversity Yeah. where it's like the where it's like on the contrary, what you're saying is that like, you know, you have these huge like monocultures of land that are growing, you know, like one crop and, and it's very much the opposite. And it's like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I had, um, I'm very, we get a lot, I think as we've grown a following, there's a lot more anti-meat community (laughs) making comments on our our reels and our posts and we we often don't engage but sometimes we kind of have to just to kind of negate it or to put an alternate train of thought across and there was a comment this morning about um they were disagreeing with me and that cows and cattle are ruining the earth and are responsible for all deforestation and blah 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 and it was just a little bit of that is kind of true, but it's misinformed or it's twisted. And I don't like just going off half cocked. So I did some research and I was shocked. I'm going to read it out to you. I was shocked that I came, this came up on Google when all I did was cattle ranching and deforestation. And this came up. Cattle ranching depletes the land of nutrients because cattle often eat to the very dirt destroying all biomass on a piece of land and making it very hard for the habitat to restore itself. And this is from MIT. And I was thinking, that's just not true. That that is bad management. Like that's overgrazing. And that's such a small percentage of any ranchers. Like it's, it's man that's responsible for the deforestation, not the cows. And um, they, the opposite is true. Like they nourish the soil. They're part of the carbon cycle, but it's misinformation like that, that I think is so dangerous and it's causing us to have an uphill struggle. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. And it's like, where, where are you buying your meat from? Yeah. So like, totally like some animal agriculture is bad for the environment. There is deforestation happening, you know, all over the world for like these huge conventional like monopolies to feed the meat that you're buying at like a Costco or like a McDonald's or like whatever. So like people need to like, like check themselves. Yeah. (laughs) 
and, 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 you know, I had to do that for like, well, I don't know if I ever, I think I always believed that like, like hunters, like, cause my husband's a meat eater and has always been a meat eater. And he would be like, babe, just, just do it. Just eat meat. And I'd be like, well, go kill somebody, something. I've always thought that like, you know, like people like you and hunters, like real, real hunters, you know, like if there's, if there's an environmentalist out there that like people should be listening to, I think it's, I think it's these, these two groups, hunters and like agriculture people such as yourself who really value kind of the principles of like this regenerative mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like every, everything else, I think you've got to question and just with how polarized everything is today. And that is kind of like the one, like, I think social media is great because like you can have access to people like you and people like me, but also to like the echo chamber that you fall into. Like there's not a lot of diversity of information. Like you really got to like seek it out. Right. Yeah. So like, so if you're like a vegan, like you're just, you know, you get, you you don't get fed a lot of like, you just don't get the right information. I don't think. And then I think they're just at a major disadvantage. Yeah. They get stuck in their same groups and their same communities. And it's just the same information regurgitated over and over. There's nothing new added. And if right. you don't have anything new added, you're immediately shunned for not being true to the cause. <laughs> right. And if like, and if like, and also like at the end of the day, you, you both want the same thing. Like you both want the environment to thrive. You both want biology to thrive. So I, I don't get why there's like such a butting of heads with this, because I think there, I think like the vegan community and like where you're coming from are more in agreement about a lot of things. It's just like this one thing about like cattle and the way the animals are treated, which is like, okay, yeah, you might be a little misinformed with the relationship of animals and the formation of land and their role that it plays. But like, you don't, you don't want factory farming just as much as they don't. Exactly. I think, I mean, I think there was, I'm going to have to go back. I can't remember the exact study or article, but it was a, an article and it was a movement where vegetarians, vegans, and ranchers were actually working together towards a common goal. And I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And we can, and I, I try and preach that a lot. Like we have, we have a number of vegan and vegetarian families who buy or um, people who buy meat for, from us for their families. So they're one person or two people in, in the household have chosen a meat-free diet, but they understand the importance of if you are going to buy meat, then it should be from a sustainable and ethical source and they buy from us. And right. I, I pointed this out to someone we were in a discussion with that went on for like almost 72 hours Um and she absolutely slated these vegans that buy from us. And it was like, oh my goodness, like you're on the same side. Like, right. You're just arguing yourself into a circle. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. It's like this, like, like, yeah, it's like this martyr thing. It's like, it's so crazy. It is. Yeah, totally. Um. So you, 
you're in the health and wellness industry and your focus is Pilates. Um, does that, has that been something that's been going on for a long time and does it work hand in hand with your beliefs now? Like, did it work with your, when you were a vegan and did you preach veganism to your students or customers or, or clients? And has that changed now that you've discovered regenerative agriculture? Yeah. So, um, so, okay. So in terms of like food, okay. So yeah, I've been, it's like, I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. Um, I actually think of like the way that I teach Pilates, the authentic method of Pilates is like regenerative fitness because it just creates total balance in, in the body. And it really hones the mind body connection And so, you know, like my clients who are well into their eighties are sometimes more fit and physically beautiful than, you know, a lot of their younger counterparts that are like, you know, doing like all this extreme fitness and all these, you know, diet fads or, you know, whatever. So I, I love the authentic method of Pilates. I feel like it's just very, it just, it nurtures the body. It keeps the spine flexible and it's very regenerative. So I love that. So then when I found regenerative agriculture, it was like, oh my God, this is totally in my, like, you know, my, my mind's my wheelhouse. Um, but when it comes to my clients, I've always told them that, you know, um, consistency needs to be at the, at the, at the core of any workout routine. So you just have to be consistent. So these people who, you know, like jump from, you know, this type of exercise to that type of exercise, you know, that works for some people and other people, you know, they, they struggle or they'll, they'll end up getting, you know, injuries or, or they just find that they just can't, you know, they just can't stay consistent with a program. Um, and then, and then a lot of my clients will come to me in the same thing with like food. They'll be like, what do you think about, you know, this, the late, this latest diet trend or, or, you know, or, or, or this protein powder or, you know, like veganism or vegetarianism or, you know, or, or I'm eating, I'm doing keto now or the paleo diet. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I don't, I've never paid attention to any of that stuff. I've always just told people that, you know, like, Hey, you know, your health is basically, you know, 99% of the stuff that you put into your mouth. And so if you're eating like a highly processed diet, and even when I was vegan, I avoided, you know, thing like a lot of high soy products and I never really did protein shakes and, I never got into tempe sandwiches or like any of that stuff or like, you know, the, the beyond burger or whatever, because I just thought that was it to me, it just was all really high processed. And for me being vegan was more about, you know, just eating food from the ground and getting my nutrients from the ground was kind of like my whole connection to it. And the fact that like when I was younger, um, I didn't have a lot of information on, you know, where my animal sources were coming from. And I would feel guilty when I would eat at restaurants and stuff, or I would, you know, I'd go into whole foods and I'd buy something, but like, 
you know, commodity food, you know, you don't know the origin, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, no matter what diet you're doing, if you're, if you're buying mostly commodity foods, you really don't know where it's coming from. And so I, and so I had a lot of guilt around, around that, like going to Thai and, you know, getting my chicken pad Thai and, you know, and I just, and so I just stopped like one day I just stopped because I just, I, there was no control for me, but I felt like there was more control with the plants for whatever reason, even though it was still this now reflecting back on it. It's like, it's still the same issue. Cause I didn't know where my, my plant food was coming from. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but, um, but yeah, but like, that's kind of, you know, how I guide my clients and, and now with, with them, I'm really campaigning, you know, I'm always campaigning that no matter what your fitness is, whether you're doing Pilates with me or whether you're doing spinning or weight training, you know, consistency, you just, you have to be consistent. And then with food, um, my, my whole thing is now, you know, trying to get my clients really excited about learning where their food comes from. So it's like, you know, you buy an olive oil at the store, you know, we, we really don't know where that olive oil came from and trying and trying to educate them about, you know, why, you know, get them curious, like, why would you want to know, you know, what are the reasons? And same for me. So like um, this newsletter that I'm sending out this Sunday, I've teamed up with a local farmer in our area and he's starting his CSA, like to take orders for his CSA. So, um, so I invite my clients to do that. And then um, there's a rancher in our area and he's taking orders for for spring and summer. And so I'm going to offer them that. And then I just kind of encourage them to, you know, like follow me on Instagram and I write newsletters and I'll share articles when I, when I'm, when I find articles that I feel like are interesting just to kind of, um, cause I think the second phase of my life is now really combining all of it together, you know, like having, a fitness routine that, that is really nourishing for my aging body and makes me feel young. And then also really to take, to take control of my health and the health of my home. And especially being a city dweller, really knowing and taking the time to know the people who are growing my food and trying to establish relationships, strong relationships with those people, because I believe that, you know, just like a personal trainer, fitness instructor, you know, whoever that person is, that's a, that's a key person in your life. I think the, the farmer should be equally or, and probably more of, of a role in people's day-to-day lives or, or weekly, you know, than they are right now. Does that make sense? get to know your rancher for sure and it goes back yeah. to people support local like um i think people people are um misinformed or confused and they think buying direct from the farmer or buying from a farmer's market is privileged and it's more expensive and in actual fact it isn't like we we all we're often um we check pricing on like superstore oh you're in 
in the States. So we have like Superstore and um, Save on Foods and things like that up here in Canada. And we're we're pretty much the same price. Like we're not any more expensive. And um, we don't want to be like, obviously Costco is going to beat us. But if you want to go and buy from Costco, knock yourself out. <laughs> but we're not that much more more expensive. And I think, and I know a lot of other ranchers are, they may be just a little bit more expensive than us, but still they're within within sense of what you could get um, at the store. Yeah. I, in my own personal experience, I actually, I feel like I save money. I mean, I've never really like done a comparison, but just like shopping at 21 acres in Woodenville, I feel like I save at least 50 to $60, not shopping at the grocery store. And then in terms of like my meat, buying, I buy on a monthly basis and I rotate different regenerative ranchers in my local area and out of state. I feel like I save money big time. You're, you're in, you're near Seattle. You're in Seattle. No, I'm in the city. Are you, so, um, do you follow Snohomish? Yes. Yeah. Do you buy their beef? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. We chat a lot. I used to work well, down there. I used to go um, to Tacoma and Seattle qu- quite a bit. Nice. I know the area, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So living in the city. Yeah. You know, and I mean, Seattle's really special because there's farmer markets and pretty much every, every neighborhood in the summertime. I think it's in the winter months that it would be harder for people. Um, you know, I know that a lot of areas in the United States, you know, don't, don't have like, don't, don't have farmers markets like we do. No. Yeah. I think they're more, they're, they're definitely growing in popularity though. Like they seem to be everywhere that we, we actually don't do farmers markets. We do everything online. We did that. Our first market last year was a local, it was called market on market. We have a street called market street. And it was this, they had, put vendors along the street for the summer period Mm -hmm. and we did that and that's the first and only one we've ever done we've never really done farmer's market how'd you like it it was fun actually it was I was trying to I was trying to employ like a um someone like a high schooler over the summer or something that they could earn money and what with the pandemic and covid and things people didn't want to work. <laughs> they didn't want I a job. So I couldn't find, find anyone to do it. So I did it and I loved it. Like I, I'm super social. I'm a people person anyway, but I really enjoyed it actually. <laughs> so I think yes. I'm going to do it again this year. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to get out and talk to people. And especially if the weather's really nice and it's warm, I think it's nice. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of the books you've read. Have you, do you follow her or have you read her book, The um, Sustainable Dish? So the book is Sacred Cow. Diana. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I follow her. I get her newsletters. Um, her book has been on my nightstand for a while, for a while. And I haven't, I haven't read the whole thing. No. I have it as an audio book and I put it on if I'm doing like an hour drive, but I'm reading it and um I was amazed that I think it's earlier on early in the book, it's like chapter four or something. And she, and she, she's going on about how we were healthier 
in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, so Victoria time, Victorian time, the start of the Industrial Revolution, um, antibiotics are not free, are not available at all. They're not available until like the 1930s or 1940s. So it's not like right. medicine is at a peak, but we were living longer and we were healthier. And it wasn't yeah. because people didn't eat meat. It was because there was no, there was no such thing as processed food. But people ate right. a lot of pork and a lot of beef and a lot of eggs and a lot of dairy. Um, and it was all local, but there just wasn't the processed. And I think a lot of, and it, it kind of, it made me pause and think because it's a time when you think like cleanliness wasn't way up there like nowadays we have a shower every day and back then it was like once a week on a Sunday like that's where the whole term don't throw the baby out with the bath water because the youngest had a bath last right <laughs> totally. it, wasn't, it wasn't because of hygiene it was just because of diet and yeah we kind of we hear a lot of time that now that oh I went vegetarian or I stopped eating meat and I was the healthiest I've ever been but then you kind of look at what they're eating and they've gone from eating burgers and pizzas and um freezer foods or frozen meals or processed foods to eating a much fresher diet so it's not the lack of meat it's the lack of salt and chemicals and processing yeah I actually have some friends um I love them dearly but they 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 were they I mean and even as vegans they have a very processed diet in their house and you're, you're totally right there. That is so true. Cause you know, people, the processed foods are just, are so bad and the, and they're systemic, you know, like the, the refined vegetable and seed oils, like you can't even go to a restaurant without, like I've, I ask servers, I'm like, Hey, like, you know, can you cook my food? Do you guys have a hundred percent olive oil? I don't ask if they have just olive oil. Cause a lot of the olive oils that are used in restaurants are like a 50, 50 blend. Yeah. And so they're mixed or like, I've been to restaurants where like I'll leave and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, all I had was like eggs and toast. And I feel like a, a bomb went off in my stomach and later to find out that like it was cooked in, you know, canola oil or vegetable oil. I mean, it's just like, it's so, it's so hard to get away from and you've got to really, you've got to really work hard at it, but that's, what's nice when you shop direct from, from local farmers and ranchers is that like you, you're, you're not inundated with any of that stuff. You just like, you just get the freshest food and you, and if you have a relationship with them and if you know their farming principles and you know, what, what their mission is, and if you align with that, like, I mean, it's liberating. Mm -hmm. yeah so many like i am um, oh, what's her name michaela peterson did you watch her debate it was the oxford union debate and it was um the motion for was against meat and they had spokespeople from beyond burger and um people from um a vegan society were were it was a it was a debate so that was the the four and then the the against the motion were people who were for meat and she i uh, i watched her debate it was nine minutes long and she has um terrible autoimmune issues to the point where she's had hip hip hips replaced and knees replaced as like a teenager and 
just health declining, like awful autoimmune issues. And she's completely cured herself by eating nothing but ruminant meat. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's something to be said for that. You know, I have family members who struggle with autoimmune issues and when they're doing like a very clean and strict meat diet, I, they, they're like their health completely turns around. Oh yeah. And then they'll like go on vacation and, you know, like the, all the carbs kind of slip back in, you know, a little bit of sugar and, and it's like, and they completely fall off the wagon and then, but they go back on it and it's like, but just seeing that kind of like that light switch reaction to like the high, the high clean meat diet versus, you know, just eating a a normal modern diet is, is, is pretty amazing. Oh yeah. I, I have, um, autoimmune, I have rheumatoid arthritis and I am in complete remission. Um, and it's all lifestyle and diet based. Like I've always been healthy. I've always been fit and active. And when I was first diagnosed, one of my friends was in a, was, has had it her whole life. And she was like, Oh, you know, you can join our group now. And I joined this group and I think I lasted a day. The group was so negative and so focused on pain and focused on their life ruined that I was like, hell no, this isn't me. And And another lady I met there was from Squamish and she was a snowboarder and we both kind of hooked onto each other and left. Like I was doing triathlons and, um, you know, it didn't, this diagnosis didn't stop me, but I mean, it, it kind of did cause I, I hurt and I had no energy and the, the medication made me so sick, but it made right. it allowed me to function. And then it was like, no, this, this isn't good at all. Like whether I'd rather be ill than take these meds. Right. Um, so then what, what is your diet right now? That's allowed you to go in remission. So I, I've always, I'm always, even before this, I kind of follow the 80, 20 rule, like clean eating 80% of the time, 20%, you know, have that burger, have that beer, whatever. Um, right. otherwise if you're clean hundred percent of the time you do fall off the wagon and it's so hard to get back on and the whole yo-yo starts again. So, I mean, I, I'm fit. I work out. Um, I don't do Pilates, but I do do yoga. Nice. <laughs> so I, I do weights and yoga and we're, and we're, and we're active, but, um, I cut out all gluten. I don't eat gluten at all because it just hurts too much, but I eat clean. Like I eat our own meat, like grass fed meat, grass fed produce, nothing processed. Like I never have cooked. Like I've never bought a boxed KD dinner or macaroni and cheese in my life ever. Right. <laughs> Even as a student, I would never, like when I lived away from home, I would go to the store and buy chicken breasts or, or ground beef. And I would make lasagnas or make pass uh, sp- spaghettis or stir fries and freeze it in portions. And it was cheaper than buying TV dinners or fish fingers or pizza. Like it's just not something we ever grew up with or ever did. I know it's such a lie. It's such a lie that that's cheaper eating. It's and and it's not. But I mean, like I just dialed it in to be cleaner. Like I don't. Contrary to what my social media may hint at, I don't drink a lot at all. Right. I I do like like a glass of wine or some or a gin and tonic, but it's not all the time. Like I I really did dial it in more heavily. Like still not excluding. Still pretty much the eighty twenty rule, but it's all fresh produce. Like it's locally grown 
vegetables, everything is seasonal. Everything is the highest nutrient density possible. So as, so how much of the food do you, are you getting from your own operation? All our beef is ours. We, okay. we swap, there's a couple of ranches around us that we swap beef for lamb and pork and ch- chickens. And my neighbor has eggs. We get all their eggs. Um, actually a guy just dropped off a huge box of fish this morning. <laughs> they live close to us, but they have a fishing operation down at the coast and we swap ground for fish. So it's all freshly caught like last week and, and just flash frozen and super local. So we eat a lot of fish too, but everything, I haven't bought meat really in the store for a very long time. Like I, it's just not something we do. Right. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. And you don't have to. <laughs> no, you don't. And I try and I try and stress that to people that it's not, it's not a privilege. Like if anything, not eating meat is for the privilege because it's the cheapest, most nutrient dense product you can have. Like it really yeah. is, whether it's organ meat, which people are going to turn their nose up at, but it's super cheap or just ground, ground beef at nine bucks a pound can make you a beautiful dinner from, for less than a frozen pizza. <laughs> Like it's yeah. cheap, it is cheap, but well, totally. And to do all like the proper food combinations to get like your amino acids and, you know, just like a, like a, a diverse, like phytochemical profile, eating a vegan diet is so hard and it is expensive because you have to buy so many ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the science and I would have to go and look it up, but I remember reading that even if, even if a a vegetable based protein has say 10 grams of protein, we cannot digest a hundred percent of it. Is that, is that, I mean, am I misquoting or misunderstanding, but it was, I might've been on one of sustainable dishes posts, but we can't process it like we can meat based. Protein. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, our, yeah, our bodies were designed to, to process animal products. I mean, that's, it's like, it's one of the oldest foods that we've eaten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cave, <laughs> cave drawings of lettuce. I like, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, there's not, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that. yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? It is. So um, if you, so you have a direct line to your audience, your, the people that you want to change and influence, what would be the one message that you would want to give them? Like you had this one shot to kind of change their life. What would you say? Well, so as a mother, you know, I mean, like one of my, my biggest successes is like, my kids don't like macaroni and cheese out of a box. Like, I'm just like, when they go over to somebody's house and the, the, the parent will offer macaroni and cheese, and then they give them like craft or Annie's or whatever. My kids are like, what is this? I mean, I feel like I've won, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm you right now. You just can't see. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I am winning. Um, so, but, uh, like being a mom, um, really taught me about snack culture and, I mean, snack, I'm like, I'm so anti snack culture. I, I despise it. And, but it can, it can feel so impossible. It, 
just when you look at somebody and what I'm doing, I know how it feels. I know that feeling of like, I, how am I going to do that? How am I going to get my family to eat like this? How am I, how could I not go to the grocery store and bring home like six different bags of chips? Like, cause that's like all kids eat. And it's like, um, and that's what we tell ourselves. Like, that's what kids eat. They eat crap. So we feed them crap because that's what we're telling ourselves. That's what we tell them. And that was kind of like my, my biggest, uh, that was like my biggest goal was to like change my mindset around those things. So actually like my son, who's my, my oldest, my like had a worse diet in his earlier years than my third child. And it's because my mindset has totally changed around food. So for moms and for my clients who are older or anybody like this whole idea that like, it's time consuming, it's expensive, you know, it's all of these things. Those are just, those are things that you're just like telling yourself, but like, once you like, just start to like chip away and you have a conversation with a farmer, you just pick up the phone or you email them. It's like, you're rewarded with their response because they're like, they're so happy to hear from you. They want to tell you everything about their operation. They want to get to know you because you are their customer. Like that's, that's really rewarding. And that like draws you in. So, and then like with your kids, like consistency and just creating boundaries and like education, you know, like talking to them about, you know, foods and, you know, and biology and, and, you know, where these foods are coming from. And, you know, my kids will be like, oh, are we eating, are we eating Windy and Ranch, you know, pork chops today? Are we eating, you know, White Oaks pasture hot dogs or, you know, so, and that's really rewarding. Um, and it feels good. It feels good knowing that you're, that like your, your family is talking about the food and even, and we live in the city, you know, like, and so it can feel, I know that feeling of like, oh, it could feel impossible. Like, how could you not buy everything from the grocery store, especially to feed your family, but you can. And so I think that that's like the biggest, the biggest thing. And like, what I want to help people do is I want to give them the tools, like through, through my website, like I've got, I have all, I've got all my vetted farmers and I've got farmers that I'm adding to the list all the time. And, and I've, and like, there's, there's products at grocery stores that I've done a lot of research and like, they're like, I've vetted those products. Like you can't buy direct from, from these companies, but like, these are, these are companies that are doing the due diligence. Like they've got good farm, they've got good farmer, a network of farmers in their, in their, um, in their network. And they're really working hard to try to clean up the supply chain and, and make sure that there's good worker welfare. I just think that like to, if, if people really want to take control of the health of the home and if they really care about the environment and they really want to create, forge a new path for their children's health, we, we have to start asking questions about the food that we're eating and where it's coming from and who's growing it or who's raising it. 
And I understand that that can feel really overwhelming, but like, I just want people to know that like the root, that it's so rewarding, like everything about the food that I eat in my home, that I bring into my home is so rewarding. And I want people to feel that way about the food that they're eating and they're feeding their family, whether they're, whether they're homesteading it themselves or they're like me and they're just a city mom, just trying, trying to do the best that they can. Yeah. Know where your food comes from. That's one of the biggest messages we try and get out there is know where your food comes from. Yeah. I think that it's, it's so, it's so important but what's so wonderful about it is, is that like, you know, there's all these social bear, like there's these, like, like these nine major food companies that control our, our food, like they've, they've conditioned us to think that like, you know, farmers are bad or, yeah. or, you know, or they're, or you can't know them or, you know, why would you want to know anything about your food? Just eat this. And like, we haven't quite, we've, we've allowed ourselves to not to like get into this mindset where we're not questioning things. And I think that right now there's an awakening and I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think more and more people are kind of like, okay, what we're doing is like, I mean, look around, it's obviously not working. I hope so. But I mean, I, um, that summit last year, like the environmental summit, it wasn't even mentioned about using regenerative agriculture and livestock to help combat climate control, uh, climate change or combat the environmental issues we're having. They were only mentioned as the cause. And it's yeah. just, you have all these experts and they're not even open or maybe they are open, but it doesn't pay their wages because um, fertilizer, the companies that build or manufacture chemical fertilizers are like the same companies that are you know heavily invested into these crops and they don't get paid if if people don't buy them and it's it's so corrupt I mean it's the same for everything like you can go you can take that stance onto so many things that we live with but yeah it's true follow the money like it's just it's such a corrupt world right now yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that like those systems aren't going to change, you know, and we just got to, we got to leave them in the rear view mirror, you know, I mean, so, you know, I mean, it's great that they're all getting together, but what's their, what's their motive, you know, I mean, why wouldn't they do the best thing? And there is money in regenerative agriculture. I mean, there's, there's, there's money in all of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Worm castings and humates and boron and fish hydrolysis and all these things that are uh, molasses, like all these things that are natural and are so good for the soils. They could put the work into that as opposed to into chemical fertilizers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they just have to, at some point, they will have to break their own cycle because it's not sustainable. They're just going to push it until like, unfortunately, I feel like they're at the point of no return. You know, I mean, like right now it's like, it's too easy, you know, mm. like and they've got to be pushed up against a wall or something. And that's why I think like people like us are so important because we can just, you know, kind of build our army and, and that will put pressure on them. I mean, consumers can change markets within decades. Mm. Oh Yeah 
empty. Like you don't, you've, you've ripped up, you've ripped up the soil or you've, you've taken away that crop. Nature abhors a vacuum and nature will fill that in and it'll fill it in with weeds. So we kill the weeds. That's if you actually let the weeds do their work, like things like, um, nitrogen fixers or a plant with like a long root, like a dandelion or a thistle is bringing nutrients from way deep down in the earth up to the higher level. And as the nutrients increase in the soil, those dandelions and thistles will naturally die off. And then the next level of plants that come in, fix the top layer, layer of soil until you have super healthy soil and edible plants on top. And you just have to let nature work. Like so us. does that mean that if you're, that if you're, if you have like a bunch of dandelions in your backyard and stuff, like that, that you're lacking nutrients and they're pulling nutrients up from deep yep. down. Cause their roots go down so low. Yep. It is. Oh, crazy. I didn't know that about dandelions. Yeah. They have a long tap root. So they're getting nutrients from further down because there isn't anything higher up. Ah. So the whole the whole kind of basis of regenerative agriculture is nourish the soils for what you do want don't kill what right. you don't want so if you have yeah. like um buttercups and things are like an infertile dry soil so you would make it more fertile and more moist so you would plant things that would grow in that environment or or like you would make that soil inhospitable for the plant that you do not want but sometimes you need them like they all have a purpose so when we have lots right. of thistles it tells us something for that land and if we like where we bale graze last year so we we bring all the herd into a large area and that's where we we feed them bales over winter and wherever we bale graze so they have all the condensed organic matter from the cows and the decomposing leftover hay and things on the ground when all the snow goes and that all fades away there's not a thistle in sight and we That's haven't crazy. killed them like we haven't used weed killer we've just nourished the soil for what we want as opposed to what that what a thistle wants i know and how like what a game changer is that for you guys i mean that's like so amazing right it's mind-blowing like if you actually think think about it i mean it, you could you could use the same thing if you're into a holistic i mean this is holistic management of the land but if you if you are used to a more holistic level of medicine and self-care right you, you don't treat the symptom you treat the cause i mean that's the whole basis of homeopathy and naturopathy or natural medicine is if you have a headache you don't take tylenol because you have a sore head you you find out why you have a sore head and it might be tension or muscle pain. And then you would relax the muscle and the headache goes like you would, you call, you go to the root cause, not, not the symptom. It's the same thing for right. the earth. Like you're, you want to find out the why and not just the, I don't know, the surface layer issue. I mean, it's when you start thinking about it, it gets so deep, <laughs> but yeah. it's fascinating. Like it's just a rabbit hole that you just, it's just like, wow, I don't know enough. I need to know more. <laughs> I know. And I wish that they taught more of this kind of stuff, like at school, you know, mm. like the, the role, you know, I mean that like all these things play with one another. I mean, especially in biology. I mean, like you don't, you learn about like carbon, but you don't really like, you don't 
you don't learn about like its role with like plants and stuff. And, you know, that it's, that it's not necessarily like a bad thing. You know, it's actually, it's actually food. It, yep. when, when used properly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, cows are part of the natural carbon cycle. So everyone's going cow burps are methane and they're killing the planet, but that methane is CH4 and it gets converted into carbon and H2O. And then it nourishes the plants and the cow eats the plants and it poops out carbon and it burps out methane and the methane goes back into the air and it gets converted into water and carbon and it hits the soil. And it's just a cycle. Like nothing new is added. Like that's the bit that people don't seem to understand, but nothing new is added into that. It's just a cycle. It's very cyclic. Whereas transport and oil and gas and industry are producing additional, like they're not, they're adding extra into the atmosphere and the cows are trying to keep up. (laughs) This was such an enjoyable podcast. I really struggled to cut it down. So at the end, after we had officially cut it off, we kept on chatting and there was some really, really good information in there. So I didn't want to cut it out. So it may seem a bit disjointed, but I had to keep it in. So I really hope you enjoyed this and we will see you next time.